A minister tucked this note under the windshield wiper of his car. I've circled the block for 20 minutes. I'm late for an appointment. And if I don't park here, I'll lose my job. Forgive us our trespasses. When he came back, he found a parking ticket and this note. I've circled the block for 20 years, and if I don't give you a ticket, I'll lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. I have just seduced you and led you into temptation, at least all of you that laughed. Temptation is not a laughing matter, but I led you into it. Especially, it's not a laughing matter when we see it at its worst. God said to Abraham, take your son, the only one, the one you love, Isaac, and go up on the mountain and offer him as an offering to me. Highly disturbing. First, the bad. What kind of God would ask for such a sacrifice? And what kind of father or parent would agree to do it? Abraham spoke not one word to God in reply. Now, this is the same Abraham who was famous as a hard bargainer, willing to enter into negotiations with relations, Genesis 13, allies, Genesis 14, princes, Genesis 20, and even with God he negotiates on behalf of evil Sodom, Genesis 19. Here, when God asks him to do this, Abraham falls completely silent. He does not say yes to God. He does not say no. He speaks commands to his serving lads. He speaks in riddles to Isaac. But to God, he says not one word. Instead, he makes preparations to go and to do what God said, only to be stopped from stabbing his son at the last minute. Linda Pope set the stage for the text by asking mothers this question. Can you imagine the father of your child returning home from a trip and announcing that God told him to kill the child? Being faithful to God, the father then tells you that he attempted to kill the child, but luckily God stopped him before he killed it. We would probably call the pastor or the police, or at least insist the father got some mental health counseling. And then she says, I have a good Jewish friend who calls this story the ultimate in child abuse. This is we must admit it, a horrible story. And certain Jewish tradition holds that when Sarah heard about what Abraham almost did, she died, since her death follows closely upon the end of this story in the next chapter. The Bible invites us to enter the characters' hearts and minds, doesn't it? And yet, here we are not so sure what to do with what we run into when we enter into their minds and their thinking. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish Lutheran philosopher, wrote a whole book, Fear and Trembling, 
in which he explored what seems like every conceivable thought that could enter the mind of Abraham as he considers this command from God. For example, Kierkegaard writes, Abraham should have said to this supposed divine voice that I am not to kill my own son is quite certain. That you who appear to me are God, I am not certain. Nor can I ever be, even if the voice thunders from the sky. Kierkegaard writes of the absurdity of faith hovering between the finite and the infinite like a dancer who has made the perfect leap and for a moment hangs in the air before returning to earth. Maybe we would talk about a basketball player who's making that final shot. Same basic thing. We live somewhere in that balance, he suggests, when we seek to know with certainty and then launch that certainty into the air. His phrase that he uses is infinite resignation. He speaks of paradox. You heard me do that plenty of times teaching Job. It's a word that drives us nuts. We want clarity. We want things to be simple. We want cut and dry answers. Yet even we know that such clarity does not exist here on earth. Abraham and Isaac face such a moment of fear and trembling when the father's love for his son exceeds his love of self and yet when his love of God does the same thing. Everything is suspended in that moment. Yet how shall we bring it down to earth in a way that it's going to mean something to you and to me for what we may have to do tomorrow, God forbid, or sometime in our lives when we are put to the test. We can say that the voice that gave Abraham the command was really the voice of then contemporary religion, where sacrificing the firstborn son was the norm, and that the true God who reveals himself at the end of the story is making a point about child sacrifice. Don't do it. Jews often interpret this text that way nowadays. But to do so sells the story short. The story is much too tricky. We can take it in a law sense and point out that Isaac was the idol of Abraham's eye and nothing can be allowed to take the place of God in our esteem and in our love. And so this becomes kind of an object lesson for Abraham. Jesus says similarly that if your eye offends you, poke it out. And yet this story exceeds Jesus in its shock value in that it requires cutting off somebody else's body, namely Isaac's. But the story is even trickier than that. On the one hand, God tells Abraham that Isaac is essential to the promised future. And then God tells Abraham to kill Sarah's only child, the one that they've waited decades for. Abraham experiences God saying, in essence, forget everything I have told you about the future, about Sarah, about Isaac, about the promise. Listen to this one commandment 
disregard everything else that I've ever told you. And this is interpreted as a demonstration of faith. What is wrong with this picture? So, as a leading scholar suggests, it is not until this story that we see how serious faith is and how anguished. What do we learn about a God who requests the sacrifice of a beloved son and who at the last moment provides a substitute sacrifice? The pivot point happens at verse 8 of Genesis 22. Even as Abraham is leading his son to this horrible thing, he insists, he insists God will provide a lamb for the slaughter. God will provide. Abraham, you see, trusts. And God, the dark and hidden God, in the end comes through. Abraham's radical obedience cannot be avoided, nor can its implications be ignored as we enter more deeply this Lenten rhythm whereby God's very beloved, love incarnate, his firstborn son, will in fact be sacrificed. We may be shocked by this story. We may question the existence of a good God when we hear this. But notice that the person who was asked to do the most suffering, Abraham, never questions God's motives. Well, the most suffering, Isaac, too. I mean, did you catch in the dialogue there? Here's the fire, Daddy. You know, here's the wood, Daddy, but aren't we missing something? It must have dawned on Isaac. And he doesn't head for the hills running to Moab. He continues to do what? Go along. Go along. He must have been trusting like his father. And so Isaac becomes, in the church's teaching later on, the model for you-know-who, you guessed it, Jesus the Christ. The man at the heart of this matter, Abraham, trusted in God completely. In 1956, Missionary Jim Elliott was murdered by a, a tribe of Aka Indians in Ecuador. His story is the background for the movie, The End of the Spear. In the midst of her grief and confusion, Jim's widow, Elizabeth Elliott, sensed God calling her to move to Ecuador and carry on Jim's work among the Aka's. Why would God send her to minister among the people who had murdered her husband? It was all a part of God's great plan. So Elliot took her young daughter to Ecuador. Out of her ministry there, she brought most of the Aucas to Christ and changed their culture and their way of life. Later, Elizabeth Elliot would write of this time in her life, only in acceptance lies peace, not in resignation nor in busyness. Resignation is surrender to fate. Acceptance is surrender to God. Resignation lies down quietly in an empty universe. Acceptance rises up to meet the God who fills that universe with purpose and destiny. 
Resignation says, it's all over for me. Acceptance asks, now that I'm here, what's next, Lord? Resignation says, what a waste. Acceptance asks, in what redemptive way will you use this mess, Lord? Have you ever, for your part, had your world turned upside down? Do you know the pain of letting go of the life that you had planned for yourself? Take the step of faith and offer your old life as a sacrifice to be burned and let God redeem your mess. Only when we die to ourself can we come alive to God's perfect plan. Like Abraham, be willing to trust God, even when it hurts. God did not take Isaac's life that day because he had a greater plan in mind. No, the Lord would instead take on our hurts himself. Eli Wiesel, Jewish concentration camp survivor and Nobel Prize winner, has said that as a Jew, he finds the story of Abraham and Isaac far less shocking than that God should require the death of his son. On a human level, the wise weasel gets it. What kind of God would do such a thing? But so be it. The answer is the real God. In Luther's words, written against the eminently wise Erasmus of Rotterdam, the hidden God, the God who justifies by faith. You see, as St. Paul told us, the gospel is ever a stumbling block. Romans 8.32 reminds us, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. That kind of good and loving God can be trusted through any test. Just look at Abraham. No better than that. Just ask Abraham when you get to heaven. You'll have all eternity to have an opportunity. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.